There are a lot of new fans that are going to be joining us after the summer of soccer that just happened. The U.S. winning two cup finals, the men's team beating Mexico twice, U.S. women's national team having a moderately successful Olympics this summer. So if you're a new fan or a veteran fan all alike, there are going to be lots of fans going to these World Cup qualifiers and some great opportunities to see this team live coming up. So I thought for this episode, we would bring in someone that has a lot of experience going to some of these games, has been to a few World Cups herself. Meg Swanick rejoins us on the channel. Meg, how's it going? It goes well, Jake. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. So yeah, today's conversation is really going to focus around what it's like going to these games and what to expect if maybe you're a new fan or if you haven't been to a game before. But I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Gold Cup final, which you were a participant in. You went to the game in Las Vegas. I just want to hear how your experience was. And maybe we could start with, I saw um, a video on your your Instagram or, or Twitter, maybe, of the parking lot before the game. And it looked like there were a lot of Mexico flags and not too many U.S. fans. So maybe just set the scene for what it was like even before the game. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think, you know, um, anyone who's been paying attention or watching U.S.-Mexico games on TV over the years won't be shocked to hear that it was an overwhelmingly pro-Mexico crowd. Um, And that was apparent immediately upon arrival. So as soon as I got to the airport and I arrived two days before the final, like even at the luggage claim, like coming out of the baggage, um, I don't know what you call that that machine, but coming out right before my bag was a giant drum with Mexico on it. And, and there were like people already in their Mexico jerseys in the baggage claim, no sign of USA jerseys, unfortunately. Um, before, in the day leading up to the final, I was actually staying in downtown Las Vegas, which is where the American Outlaws also had their night before party. That's where their chapter bar is. So I was hanging around Fremont Street and um, again, just Mexico jerseys everywhere, like no casual site site sightings of USA fans, but lots of casual sightings of Mexico fans. I went to a few museums. I went to the Mob Museum. Again, like on a tour at the Mob Museum, everyone in my tour is a Mexico fan. No <laughs> sight of USA fans. And I'm like, Were you oh, wearing your Mexico. USA jersey? <laughs> no, I wasn't actually, unfortunately. I apologize, <laughs> not repping. Well, that's what I was thinking as well, is that maybe there's USA fans and they're undercover like I am a little bit. Um, <laughs> but no, they so like... make themselves fans. known. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So Mexico fans everywhere in the days leading up, which is exciting. Like I love entering a city in the lead up to a game and having knowing that somebody has arrived and they're ready to go. Um, That increased the day of the game. So the game was on a Sunday. And then, you know, I was on the strip, um, staying on the strip for the day of the game because you can walk to Allegiant Stadium from the strip. And every casino, every person in every casino, Mexico jerseys. Finally, um, going to where the AO members were staying, there was a large, respectable contingent of American fans, and they did have their jerseys on representing. Um, But still, like, the Mexico chants were starting at, like, 11 in the morning at all the casinos leading up. And then when you're, if you, you know, Allegiant Stadium is an incredible stadium, first of all. And not every stadium is in as easy proximity to the center of things. So you can walk from the strip, which is really nice. And so walking from the strip to Allegiant Stadium, you walk across this bridge and you see this beautiful stadium with all the mountains in the background behind it. It's a really nice backdrop. And then there's fans everywhere. 
Um, so even walking across the bridge, again, like overwhelming Mexico fans, they're all chanting along the way. Some USA fans sprinkled in. Um, and then I, I had gone a little bit early because I wanted to uh, take in the vibe of like outside the stadium and, and even talk to some Mexico fans. Um, all very friendly, um, but like outside the stadium, just like a huge tailgate. There's music. They're on their trucks there. They've got their sombreros on and like very, very friendly. Some USA fans sprinkled in, but most of the USA fans were at the American Outlaws pregame party, which was at their bar at Mandalay Bay. Um, so yeah, even just like even before entering the stadium, it was an overwhelming Mexico crowd in Las Vegas. And um, I found it to be exciting. Well, at the same time, a little bit like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> so I guess you, you spoke about how they were mostly friendly. I, I think a lot of people going to games for the first time would be worried about kind of hostile environments, even in the U.S. Um, you know, the U.S. is a melting pot of many different nationalities and cultures. And a lot of times, like you're talking about now, the U.S. is outnumbered even in our own country when we're going to soccer games. How was kind of the friendliness? Was it banter? Was it like, did you feel safe at all times going throughout the the parking lot and meeting some of the Mexico fans? In terms of safety, absolutely. Um I don't know if this is misguided, but to a certain extent, and having been to three World Cups, I do feel like being female sometimes protects me from getting into fights. Like people aren't going to start a fight with me. They might make a comment, but I don't think the average football fan is targeting me to get into an altercation. There were two fights that I saw inside the stadium. And I can tell you a little bit about that, but in terms of safety, absolutely. And in terms of like, was it banter? Is it hostile? I would say, um, you know, like a lot of Mexico fans, especially outside the stadium, went outside their way as I was walking around to talk to me and be like, oh, hey, like, I'm excited for this game. You know, I'm cheering for Mexico, but I live in the U.S. and I love the U.S. too. So like really, really wonderful atmosphere that way. And like, you know, wanting me to join their tailgate, wanting to feed me their food, <laughs> that kind of thing. So like really wonderful. However, I would say that at the margins on both the U.S. and Mexico side, there are people who will make comments that are unnecessary. And there are people who you can tell, you know, whether it's they had a few drinks before they entered the stadium or whatever it might be, um, you know, like inside the state. I would say that I didn't encounter any malice from the Mexico fans until inside the stadium. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of U.S. fans, uh, the only really negative thing, and it was pretty negative, but once we got to security, it was just absolutely swarmed and it was hard to get in. Everyone's like in a like the lines turned into just a mob of people mm -hmm. and like some guy who is behind me, I think they were from California of U.S. fans. He's like he kept yelling into the crowd. He's clearly inebriated, but he kept repeating like oh, the security's bad because of all these Mexicans. And he kept saying it over and over again. And that's just like unnecessary yeah. and funny and embarrassing also. So um, that like actually my first negative encounter was with a US fan making that comment. Yeah. Inside the stadium, um, there were a few fights. One was far away, so I don't know who started it. One was near me. And um, I didn't hear what was said exactly. 
But it started out as a an American fan, a woman was walking down and I think a Mexican fan said something to her. And then she like got up in his face and was yelling at him. And then a bunch of American men like intervened and security got involved. And she, I think she filed a report. And again, I don't know what was said, but inside the stadium, you do get that. Yeah, I guess in all things, right? There's fringes, there's fanatics, there's people that don't represent the the whole um, last time you were on this show, I don't know, or calling it this YouTube channel, you talked about um, how everyone you talked to, whether they were Mexican or other Central American Caribbean nations, were very against like some of the things that have stopped the games before, so like homophobic chants, other things like that. Uh, did you find like going now to the Gold Cup? It's a few months after the Nations League final. There was an elevation of that, like more people were kind of trying to make it an inclusive environment or at least not making it an environment where I, I don't think the game to my memory had to be stopped for homophobic chants or anything like that. So did you find like there was a difference between the Gold Cup final and the Nations League final? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the, the Gold Cup final was anywhere near in the remit of the Nations League final in a number of directions, not just including that chant. I did hear the chant and I first heard it on the bridge walking from the strip. And it, you know, I think that it, as I'd said last time I was talking with you, um, it happens in just like any, you know, misbehaving fan at a stadium. It happens in certain corners and then it dies out. And I think that's, you know, throughout the Gold Cup, at stadiums where I wasn't. So I had been at the Mexico Guatemala game, non-existent at all. It didn't appear. Um, it was at, obviously at the Trinidad and Tobago game and it was at the Canada game as well. They did stop that game as well. So I think those are the two, the final, they didn't stop it. Um, they did make an announcements and I did hear it and I heard it coming into the stadium and I did also hear it in the stadium. Um, I, I I put on my Twitter and it's worth mentioning that like not only were the Mexico fans far outnumbering the U.S. fans, but they also outnumbered us in our section, which was like one of my main qualms, uh, you know, because it was hard to get chants going because I was in row 22 and like I couldn't even hear the capital. So you were sitting in a specific U.S. section. And yeah, I was in the official, and I think I incorrectly called it the AO section on my Twitter. It's not the AO section. It's the U.S. supporters section. And that's the section that U.S. soccer will dole out um, to the Sammers, to Barra 76, to AO, and to anyone else who's an official uh, member to get those tickets. So theoretically, it should be the U.S. supporters section, but it was at least 50% Mexico fans. And it made it really difficult to get any kind of chant going, which was a little bit frustrating. Um, in terms of hearing the chant, again, only like small groups starting it, probably inebriated, just you know, being that guy in the stadium and it didn't get any momentum at the final. And amongst the Mexico fans who were in the U.S. supporters section, so behind the goal, um, you know, they were all really friendly. And like, I, I think I like turned to the row behind me who were all Mexico fans when it when it happened in the stadium and they all like rolled their eyes and they were like, I don't know. <laughs> so maybe of. some progress is being made. Yeah, and I think... You know, like with any sport or with any fan base, and we were just talking about like Philadelphia. I'm in Philadelphia from Philadelphia now, like going to an Eagles game. Like, what do you do with these fans misbehaving? They always show up kind of thing. And I think that what 
a lot of Mexico fans are negotiating is like when it shows up in the fringes of their fan base, what do you do about that? Because I think they want mm-hmm. it to stop. But, you know, even for me, like coming in through security with the guy who made the obnoxious comment about Mexicans and security, like, do I accost him? Do I turn around? I like wrestled with that a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's probably similar for Mexico fans. Definitely. So you walked us through what it looked like going into the stadium, getting to your seats, still being outnumbered by Mexico fans in your seats. What was it like during the game? It went to extra time. The U.S. scored with a few minutes to go and didn't allow Mexico to take their revenge on the U.S. men's national team from the Nations League. So what was it like in the stadium? What was the atmosphere like as it went into extra time and kind of became more tense as it went on? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I have so much respect for fans of the Mexico national team. Um, They are electric and like the chance started on the strip and then they keep going in the stadium and it's constant throughout the match. Like they never, they kind of never stop. Um, The U S supporters, I think deserve a lot of credit who were there. You know, there is a strong and consistent core of people who go to all of the games and then there are people who show up for the games in certain cities and then there's the people who come for certain matches like the final and I think that everyone did their best and you know kind of heartwarmingly because between supporter groups there's going to be friction or reasons why certain groups have peeled off like Bar 76 I think was developed in part because they didn't like the vibe of AO Um, But all of the capos of all of those groups were together, standing together and like trying to get the crowd going. And so in that moment, it was like, we're all in this together. We're outnumbered. We got to get the crowd going. And everybody was really going for it. And I did my best too. But again, it was difficult. (laughs) It was difficult, unfortunately, (laughs) to hear the capos. Um, I think the reason that the U.S. supporters section And I think it was a big problem, actually, in terms of getting a vibe going for the U.S. fans. Um, Because when you I was in, again, row 22, it's not even that far back. And when if you're having a hard time hearing the capos from there, like if you're in row 50 or elsewhere in the stadium, you're going to have an even harder time. And so I think the fact that we can't get a solid block even in an outnumbered stadium is pretty problematic. And I think the reasons that contribute to that are a bit varied. So. It's a bit of guesswork, but I've heard that um, U.S. soccer is in part to blame. They only reserved so many spots um, and a pretty limited number given the size of the stadium. They waited a really long time to release them. They released them only to AO at first and didn't give any to Barra 76 or to the Sammers. Um, And then I think there's a lot of reselling happening. And I also think there's probably a lot of people who are AO members who are Mexico fans actually were bringing Mexico fans so I had a there were a lot of people around me who which is like on the one hand fine and great but on the other hand problematic if you're trying to get a vibe going or chance going because heartwarmingly you know there's a lot of people around me who were like a Mexico fan and and a U.S. fan but then when the Mexico fans cheering for Mexico and you're in the U.S. supporter section it, it can become problematic so I think because of all of those reasons the U.S. supporter section was incohesive, despite the deserved uh, respect given to the capos from all of the supporter groups joining forces and to all of the very dedicated members who are there trying to create that vibe. Um, so I would say that the stadium was overall just electric. It's an incredible 
stadium. It's an incredible atmosphere being amongst that many fans, like completely sold out. Mexico fans are among my favorite fans in the world, truly. Like they deserve a lot of respect for the passion that they bring to every stadium. Um, and I think that, you know, the U.S. fans deserve respect, but definitely outnumbered. And I think that figuring out how to <laughs> at least get like a block behind the goal where we can get chance going is going to yeah. be key. I'm curious what you think, and this wasn't really something we talked about, but it just sparked something with recently Shannon Sharp. I don't know if you've seen, it's yeah. a huge Twitter <laughs> deal, but essentially he was asking like how many times has Messi and Ronaldo come up against each other in yeah. in their clubs um, or their countries. So is, and a lot of the comments that were responding to him were in my opinion valid, but also go a lot towards like gatekeeping the soccer community from people that are asking genuine questions or trying to learn more or join the community, even like maybe they're newer and they truly don't know. Do you have an opinion towards how much U.S. fans gatekeep the sport or are kind of hipster assholes towards having soccer as theirs and not allowing new fans into the sport? Or is that something that's kind of completely being made up or blown out of proportion? It's a really good question. And um, the first thing that I will say is that I love the sport and I want it to grow so badly in the U.S. So I'm hesitant to critique because I don't, you know, like I have three brothers, I have a sister, I have like 80 million cousins and friends who Soccer is not their favorite sport, but they're mildly interested. And so I really um, critique with trepidation because I don't want to push them away. And like yeah. when I do critique, I was with one of my brothers last weekend and I had some critiques for the U.S. fan base. And he was like, I knew it. And I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that because now you're not going to show up or watch. But um, I think that's absolutely a thing. And actually, I, I think it's something that I've experienced even even in like. I wouldn't consider myself a casual, but there is definitely a distinct atmosphere to U.S. soccer fans that is different from anywhere else in the world for a number of reasons and different from all the other sports in the U.S. for a number of reasons. And, you know, I've been like as an American soccer fan or as a woman, if that's relevant, um, I've been to three different world cups, two men's world cups. And to a certain extent, I was saying this to my brother, I feel like I have an easier time penetrating like circles of German and Danish and Brazilian and English fan bases than I do American yeah. fan bases. Cause you get to the American fan base and it's like, well, what do you know? And it's a little bit, it's just a little bit closed off. Yeah. I'm glad you, said something we didn't have to be as rude to anyone <laughs> about but if you are a new fan if you're someone that doesn't know everything about the U.S. just know that like everything else there are those fringes and we probably do have a gatekeeping issue that we need to solve at some point if we're going to grow the sport way faster than it is right now but I don't know Meg is it uh, turning it to more of like that optimistic side what can we do as true fans now kind of early in the growth of the sport here to help bring in these new fans? Well, I would say two things on the optimism side. I think that there is 
you know, a reason why that's happened. I think that because, and you asked me last time and I was like, no, no one looks down on American fans. And then I thought about it later and I was like, well, (laughs) they probably do. And I was just being positive. But um, I think that's part of the reason. I think that both in the context of being a soccer fan in the U.S. as well as being a soccer fan compared to the world where it's their most popular sport and they've been playing it forever, um, I think American fans have had to be overly knowledgeable. And I think that they are some of the most knowledgeable fans on the planet. And I think that's because they've had to be. And so then when you get into a circle of people who like just showed up from the basketball game and they're like, what's this sport? <laughs> you know, you might be a little bit like, okay, this guy. So I think there's a reason why that's happened. And I think that there is a lot of respect deserved to a lot of like the diehards and the knowledge that they have. Um, In terms of like the optimism, I think that it follows cycles. The fan base and the supporter groups follow cycles of how the team is doing. And I think that we're in a cycle now where because they haven't qualified for the last World Cup in Russia and they didn't qualify for the Olympics, Um, And in talking to the leaders of supporter groups, they lost a lot of members because of it and a lot of people in stadiums because of it and a lot of people just paying attention because of it because the perception has been, oh, we're not good, so I'm not going to follow anymore. And so then all that's left are these people like protecting the community. But I think as we get better and we're getting better and we just had this incredible summer where we won the Nations League and we won the Gold Cup, you're going to get this influx of fans. And I think that's going to, inevitably um, by default, just like spread the people who are showing up at the um, tailgates and night before parties that AO deserves a lot of credit for setting up and having that space for people to come together. Uh, And I think that there's also some acknowledgement. Some, I mean, I don't think, I know, I know that there is acknowledgement that this is, has been an issue um, and that they do need to grow. And I think that that's something people want to do. Um, So that's encouraging as well. And then I would also say that like in terms of gatekeeping, like it really depends and it can only be some people or it might be only like certain chapters of AO or like and like other chapters are like the best people you've ever met in your life kind of thing. So it varies. It's not everybody. I don't want to discourage anyone, but it's definitely a thing on the fringe. You make a really good point about US fans having kind of squish themselves into this weird place where they need to be overly knowledgeable to credentialize themselves to international fans that look down upon U.S. soccer. But that kind of leaves them in a weird place where new fans have a really high kind of cliff to to climb up to get to that point. So I think that's, that's a really good point that you make. So keeping on that optimistic track, thinking about people that are wanting to go to these games, they want to get more into the World Cup qualifiers. What's your favorite part about going to these international games? Let me count the ways. My favorite part. So, I mean, there's the game itself and there's the stadium atmosphere, right? Which is just, I love being in a stadium. I love being in a crowd, which is always specific to the location that it's in. And I love seeing the game and the game itself. But outside of it um, is just as wonderful to me. So, uh One of the reasons I love going to World Cups and I love going to tournaments in general, including the Gold Cup, is that it's a little bit like following a journey, like following an unraveling story in a specific location where you 
are able to explore different elements of a certain society. And as someone who doesn't just love the sport, but who also loves to travel, I've, I work in the travel industry in addition to writing and talking to people like you. Um, and so I, I, I've been fortunate to travel a lot in my life. And I think that following sports tournaments are some of the best ways to get to know a country and a society. You know, like when you go to South Africa, and you're following a team or a set of teams, you're not just going to one spot, you're going to like six different cities and they're all very different and they all have different cultures that contribute to what South Africa is. Similar in in Russia, you know, I was in St. Petersburg, I was in Moscow, I was in Sochi, I was in Volgograd, which all the Russians I met were like, Volgograd, like eyes (laughs) fucking out of their head. I I quickly picked up on the fact that Volgograd is like Louisiana, Russia. (laughs) Um, So like you, they put you all over in these World Cups and you really get a taste for all the different parts of a country, Um, which shows up in the stadium too. And that was present in Gold Cup to an extent. And I've traveled a lot in the US. Um, Again, I work in the travel industry and in higher ed more specifically. Um, So I've traveled to a lot of different universities around the US. So I'd been to a lot of these states before, but I think sports bring a a certain element to life in these states and like going from Kansas to Texas to Nevada. It's just, there's a story there and there's different pieces of American soccer culture that come to life in the people you meet, in the stadiums, and the way they chant, um, which is so interesting. And it's really fun to follow along. Um, And then I think that like, you know, for all that talk about like gatekeeping, I just love to meet people and talk to other people like me who, because you'll meet so many people at a World Cup, at a Gold Cup, at a US match, at a World Cup qualifier. Um, I actually haven't been to any away Gold Cup, sorry, Gold Cup qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers. Um, who go to all of them or they go to some of them or they've been doing it for, you'll quickly pick up like at World Cups, they'll be like, well, this is my eighth, this is my 10th World Cup. And they go to all of them every four years, especially in places like England. Like I'm sure you've met a lot of Mm. people who just, every time England's playing, they're there all over the world. And I think that that's growing in the U.S. So there's people who anytime the U.S. is playing, they're there all over the world. And there's people who I met in Kansas City, who I met in Dallas, who they're like messaging me and they're like, so you're going to be in El Salvador, right? And I'm like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that you just make these friends and you just fall in love with the road and the story and the cultures that it brings to life while you're following it. I think a part of what you're saying too, for someone maybe that's newer to this is just be open to what that experience is like. And you're going to meet a lot of new people. Don't, don't take that experience away from yourself, whether someone's reaching out to you on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or what we have a discord for us soccer fans as well. Like there's tons of places where someone will bring you in, take you to their favorite restaurant, like bring you around town Absolutely. before the game. Um, yeah. And I don't know how you wound this this picture but i actually wanted to ask you you've studied abroad you've i think you've taught english abroad you worked in manchester why is traveling so important to you and what does that add to the soccer environment now that you're going to these games with all of that experience behind you traveling to me is um I mean, that's a very big question. I, I I would consider myself to be a very curious person who wants to know what the world is like and wants to know, more importantly, what people are like and how they might be different to us and what makes them tick and what do they love and what do they care about and how does that relate to the U.S. or relate to me? 
Um, I think it's the most enjoyable thing on earth is to go around the world and meet people who are different. And I love living abroad and I love meeting new cultures and I've had nothing but wonderful experiences, truly. Um, you know, the overwhelming majority of people on this planet are like pretty wonderful. I think you've traveled a lot and maybe you also agree. Yeah. And yeah, it's just so That's much about you, but I, I do completely agree. Yeah, no, totally. It's just so much fun. And I, I think living abroad as opposed to just traveling abroad is a really unique way to do that. So you can go a few levels deeper, especially if you're working abroad, like like you are and, and like I have. Um, you're really becoming a part of a community. Like you have your coffee shop and you have your gym that you go to and your people that you hang out with and you feel like you're really getting to be a part of another culture, which I think is wonderful. And in terms of how... So I love travel for a lot of reasons and not just because it's fun. I think it's essential actually. And in terms of how that impacts the way that I travel to soccer games or enjoy soccer games, I feel like as the world's most popular sport, like I, I mentioned, like I like to write, I like to read, I like to follow the stories of tournaments. I, I feel like soccer just tells the best story of the world's populations and everybody's culture comes to life in the stadium and outside the stadium and in these tournaments. And I also think that, you know, I was thinking about, Anthony Bourdain recently, actually, I think it was the anniversary of his death. And I'm a big fan, like I'm sure a lot of people are, Anthony Bourdain being someone who traveled all over the world. And he used food as like his entryway to making friends and learning about a culture. And for me, I feel like it's soccer, like that's the entryway to making friends and learning about a culture. And I think it's a really um, subtle, but effective way to just like, Add your way in and and enter a community and learn about what they're really like. That's beautifully said. I I think um, I've told the story before, but someone that I work with grew up in Sunderland, and he works where I work now. Yes. And the first time I met him, I had found out that he grew up in Sunderland, and he was a Sunderland AFC fan. And so I just started talking about how DeAndre Edlin was there, Josie Altador was there, Lyndon Gooch is there now. It's like that uh, knowledge that I built as a U.S. soccer fan actually gave me kind of like a, a free entry into friendship with this person because Absolutely. they knew that I knew something about where they grew up, something that was very close to them in their heart. And it was just an easy way to kind of gain trust and an entry into that. Um, and something you said as well, sorry, I know this is an interview with you, but I, I do have a lot of reactions no, to, to what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Like people ask me a lot as an American living in London, Americans ask me a lot. Like, do I say football or soccer? Do people get <laughs> mad when I say one versus the other? I think what people should understand is that it doesn't matter. Like if I say football or soccer, people are just glad that I can enjoy the same things that they can enjoy. And we can talk about that on the same level. I started to stray into saying football more, but when I moved back to the States, I don't want to be a Euro snob and, <laughs> and people call me out for it. But like, sometimes I've said soccer to my European colleagues and they've been like, Jake, at some point <laughs> you just have to say football. You just have to start saying it and start calling it football. So I think we, we don't give credit enough to people around the world. I know we just talked about how U.S. fans feel like they need to reach this pinnacle to be able to be at the same level of the world sport. But 
in general. I think if you're a fan of the sport and you have the right intentions to learn about that story and learn the cultures and the histories about these teams or, or these players, then that's such an easy way to ingrain yourself in the cultures that you're you're in at the time. Yeah, we're like unicorns. I actually think they love it. And they might give you a hard time, you know, as, as is the British way sometimes, like the default is to give you a hard That's time. That's how you know that they they care about you. They exactly. love you. They like you when they give you a <laughs> yes. hard time. But I think they love it. They're like, who is this American who knows all these things about our sport? And, and they want to get into it with you. And it, it is the way into their heart, I think. And I'm glad you brought up the soccer versus football thing because I have the same relationship to it. Like depending on who I'm talking to, I'll be like soccer or football. And then in the U S context, I feel like it has certain like context of like the whole Euro snob phenomenon and I'll go with soccer. But I've definitely, I think when I was in Manchester, I just went with football, but yeah. I've called it soccer too. And they'll be like, ha she's American. <laughs> Sometimes it just slips and you know what? I'm not trying to be, it's like some snob yeah. yeah so um okay so thinking about the games the environments that you're going to specifically attuning yourself to the u.s national teams what's one thing that they do really well to focus on and if you had a magic wand like what's one thing that you would change about the environment or about the way that these games are done in terms of the fan bases yeah so I would say that, and I, I think that American Outlaws, AO, being the largest and most influential supporter group, gets a lot of criticism. Um, that might just be criticism that is better placed at the, you know, sometimes faltering evolution of soccer fandom in the U.S. more generally. And, um, you know, I do feel for the people, they do so much. They, they really put a lot of work in and a lot of dedication into growing the sport, both through their philanthropy as well as in the stadium, you know, like being the capos and leading those chants and trying to get an atmosphere going in a, in a country that hasn't always loved the game. Yeah. Um, so they, they really deserve so much credit. And they also have, I, I think that the, like, system of having the local chapters and cohesion um, really is is positive. And so I think that their organization and their ability to provide spaces for people to convene and the continuity, I think, is really laudable. I, I think that maybe we sometimes as fans, when we critique, underestimate how difficult that is and, and where we, we've come from. You know, so like AO was developed... I don't know the exact year, but I think it was like 20, 2008, 2009, um, before the 2010 World Cup, kind of replacing Sam's army um, a little bit and then entirely over the years. And, uh, you know, I think that we sometimes underestimate like what they've done for the growth of the game in, in those years. Um, so I would say all those things are what they do really well, providing the space, providing the continuity, providing clarity of like, if you are just a casual fan or someone showing up for the first time, you know what the chants are, you know where to go, you know where they're going to have a tailgate, you know where they're going to have a night before party, you know where to meet people. And I think that's all really, really helpful. I think that where we go wrong is that sometimes we lack like flexibility or creativity in terms of the songs or the chants. And we're still singing the same chants we've been singing since 2010. And I've actually had conversations because I've, 
voice this concern, probably obnoxiously, to the leaders of AO. <laughs> and they've talked to me about the reasons why. And, you know, it makes sense. Like, it's hard to get a stadium full of Americans to be chaining at a soccer game. It's not something, or singing, it's not something we always do at sporting events. And it's not something that new fans will know how to do. So it's like, in terms of trying to get that atmosphere going, we're going to stick to these four chants. And this is what we're going with. Um, I think sometimes that's short-sighted as, as much as that makes sense. Because for example, at the Austin game, they were improvising with like the Austin FC chants and throwing them in and everyone picked up on it. Like, I think we can do it. And, you know, again, like some credit. Exactly. Like we can do it. And, and I think that, um, you know, you were mentioning before, like there are, you know, maybe if we tried to introduce a very obscure or new game specific chant, the way that like English fans will, like, you know, when they go to, when they play Netherlands, they'll like have a a song someone comes up with just for that game or like specific to a specific world cup. Like maybe that would be more difficult for us, but we could sing like, don't stop believing and that might be cringe as well. I was well, going to say we, that. We could come up with any number of things that everybody knows how to sing that would be picked up really easily. So I think that, you know, the defense from AO about why we only sing a certain number of songs makes sense to a certain extent. But I think sometimes they underestimate our ability to get a crowd of Americans to sing songs that we definitely all know. I'm glad you said don't stop believing because it's it's kind of like a perfect counterweight to... I believe that we won. It's still like gets across the same message, but tell, show me one person over the age of 12. I don't know. That doesn't know the words to don't stop believing. Yeah, absolutely. we could do it. We could easily do that. I think it's the perfect replacement. Yeah. The I believe chant does still show up. It's so funny. Like you could write a whole chapter of a book just on that chant and the contentious debates around it because people do like get defensive you know and it got brought up at one of the night before parties in Kansas City and I think people have like emotional attachments to it like it came about at the Brazil World Cup or or whatever it might be and then also apparently people just start it in the stadium it's kind of like (laughs) our version of the goalkeeper chant like it just shows up and you can't stop it (laughs) is that foreshadowing to to your new book coming out soon (laughs) is there a chapter on the (laughs) We'll, we'll see. Maybe. The people have to, to purchase. Um, exactly. <laughs> Meg, I have one last question, which is for anyone that's thinking about going to these games, something that we haven't talked about yet, what's one thing you want them to know or want them to be thinking about as they go to these games? I would say that, you know, going back to like the U.S.-Mexico game and there being things on on the fringes that are maybe a little bit unsavory I would say like enjoy yourself but know that you've got a USA jersey on and like an American flag on your face for lack of a better context and so you are representing your country as a fan and so I would say uh, represent it well and don't make obnoxious comments to opposing teams fans Um, don't start fights don't engage in fights if someone starts it with you so like all of those things but outside of that I would say just know that you're there to have fun and explore a culture, which is the game and a culture, which is whoever you're playing mixed with yours. And also know that, you know, I've gone to so many games like by myself and or with friends and it is easy to make friends. Like with all my critiques aside, like just go talk to people. People want to talk about the game. People want to talk about the sport. And I actually think that if you're thinking 
or on the fence about going to an away game, those are sometimes the best opportunities to make friends because um, those are the most passionate fans. And it's easy to like, you know, if you're, it's a little bit different going to a game in Philadelphia versus going to a game in Mexico City. Like you're really in this together in Mexico City. And so if you're trying to like really throw yourself into fandom and and, and make friends and, and get a really interesting experience i would say go to the away games it's you, you won't regret it at all yeah. and the away fans are lovely so like don't be intimidated by going to azteca don't be intimidated by going to mexico city i'll be there in march and mexico city is an incredible city also if you're one of 100 people in the top corner at azteca with the uh, jerseys <laughs> And I'm sure everyone will want to be friends and be as close <laughs> as possible. Um, Meg, you made it through the gauntlet. You've talked us through A through Z of getting to these U.S. soccer games. We really thank you and appreciate you for that. What is going on on your end? Anything you want to tell our audience about what's coming? So right now I'm in my rest period between tournaments. So the Gold Cup has wrapped up and I'm just sorting through all of my photos and videos and actually trying to get them all up on YouTube so you can see. So if you guys follow me on Twitter, I'll be posting them there as they get live. And I am actually plotting out my World Cup qualifier schedule and it's looking pretty heavy on the away section. So if anyone is thinking about going to El Salvador or Honduras, or anywhere else, um, let me know and I'll be there. And I know other people who are there and, and we'd love to hang out. If you're worried, you already have one friend right here in Meg Swanick. Yeah. Meg, if thanks I can for do joining it, us. You can do it. 